thorns. The gift of thorns, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. I'll give you a moment to find your place. And I want to share a quote with you from a, a man that's went on to be with the Lord um, several decades ago now. His name was Malcolm Muggridge. He was an uh, English journalist and believer. He had some pretty profound thoughts and things that he wrote about Christianity and other things. But, but he said this, and, and maybe you can identify with, with what he says. He says, contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my experience has been through affliction and not through happiness. I saw a quote this week, and I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. And it simply says this, we have no scars to show for happiness. We have no scars to show for happiness. I always thought it was amazing that the glorified risen Christ in this new body still has the marks of the nails. And I thought about that this week because we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, which was written by the Apostle Paul, who is no stranger to pain and suffering. And we'll look at some of the things he went through. But a lot of you have seen the Passion of Christ, and you see the horrific beating. We read about it in Scripture that Jesus took. 39 lashes on his back that he took for us. But did you know that the Apostle Paul went through that five times? 195 lashes. And I was thinking this week, and I don't have any Bible for this, don't know for sure, but I wonder if when we get to heaven as believers and we meet the Apostle Paul, I wonder if just as in Jesus' glorified body, the nail marks are still there, I wonder if Paul's body will have those scars on his back as a reminder of his commitment to the Lord Jesus. Don't know that, but it could be possible. So I want you to stand with me this morning. We're going to read just a few verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and then we'll kind of set the stage, if you will. The gift of thorns is the title of my message, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 7. We'll read down to verse 10. Paul says this, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Father, we come to you today, Lord, asking you for strength in the midst of a difficult time. Lord, I, not only with the news we've heard, but just in our own personal lives, there may be deep struggles, deep battles that have been taking place or are taking place. And I pray today, God, that this text would encourage 
that we would view suffering in a whole different way. It's not possible for us to view suffering in our flesh in any other way other than to see it as bad. But Lord, I pray today that we will see that while suffering is not always a good thing, that the God behind it in working all things together for good can use it for his glory and our benefit. So Lord, help us today to be able to bear up under Christ and his strength and to face things this world throws at us with newfound hope and strength and encouragement. And Lord, again, we lift up the Stevens and Ames family to you, God. I ask you to just give them peace and strength and comfort during this time. And Lord, just help me today to do what you want me to do here. And I'll give you all the praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. David and Elizabeth Van Dyne have went out of town for a few days, but I asked David before he left if I could share this story. Some of you are friends with him on Facebook, and David has been pursuing um, becoming a beekeeper. And so he's worked really hard, and, and last week he posted, or just a few days ago, he posted that his first beehive was delivered and set up. And so he, he had some videos uh, on Facebook, some of you probably saw, and, and here is David. I already knew he was crazy, but this confirmed it. He's standing there right next to this thing of bees, and he's got the face thing on. But he's got shorts. He's got a shirt that's cut open in the sides. And the whole time I'm watching it, I'm thinking, how many bees are getting in there right now? That's my thought, right? That's, that's all I'm thinking about. And so I, I, met, I commented on the post, and I said, this may be a dumb question, but how can you stand there like that? with all those bees and not get stung because I'm allergic to bees so like one bee I'm in the house I, I'm not got a whole a whole swarm of them and me standing there next to that that's not ever going to happen but I asked him that question and he commented and I asked him if I could share what he said a portion of it and he said I plan on getting stung at some point it's just part of being a beekeeper and I thought a lot about that with this, this message this week because I love honey. I mean, I can eat honey all the time, minus the bees, <laughs> right? I, I want the reward, but I don't want to get stung to get it. But David has a passion that goes beyond just getting the reward. His desire is to go through the entire process. And God promises believers all types of rewards and blessings. But you're going to get stung along the way. There's no way, Charles Spurgeon said, that there are no crown bearers in heaven who are not cross bearers on earth. And there is no way to get from here to there without thorns in your life. These beautiful flowers down here are going to be a nice gift that we'll give away at the end of service. If I came up with a handful of baskets of thorns and said, that's what we were giving away, probably no, none of the ladies in here would be too excited. But God is going to give Paul a thorn in the flesh, and he's going to call it a gift. And I want us to look at that today, and I want us to think about how on earth could something like that that caused pain and trouble and suffering in Paul's life possibly be good not just from God's perspective but Paul was able to look at it and say it's good how can we get can we get to that place so let's look at a couple of things today um, 
before we get into the main portion of the text, I just want us to think about what, what I just read to you, and I want us to think about how did Paul even get to this place? Like, how did he arrive at a place in his life where God is giving him a thorn in his flesh, and Paul is going to rejoice in that thorn? Like, what were the steps that got him here? So I'm going to take us back just a couple of chapters. You can flip back to chapter 10, or we'll try to get some of these on the screen for you to follow along. But here, here in a nutshell is what's going on. Paul has left. After he planted the church in Corinth, he has left, okay? He started this church in Corinth and it's about the end of his second missionary journey. You can read about that in Acts chapter 18. He starts this church. He gets things going. The church is like any other church. It's like K. Russo. It's like Hamilton Christian Center. It's like Princeton Pike. It's like First Baptist Trenton. Whatever church you want to name, it has problems. And it will continue to have problems because there are imperfect people that make up the body of Christ, including the pastor. And so at times there's going to be problems. But Corinth seems to have a lot of problems, and not just problems on the inside, there's problems on the outside. And one of those problems is when Paul leaves, false teachers start to come in. And as these false teachers start to come in, not only are they spreading false doctrine, but they're tearing down Paul and his message in the process. They're trying to belittle him so that they seem more esteemed in the eyes of the people. And so one of the things that is difficult for us, I've, I've, I've talked to you many times about the English language, and obviously I don't expect you to know Greek um, or, or have a great understanding of that, but it does help to some degree to get a better understanding, and sometimes even then we don't really get the gist of it. So here's your homework for the week. I would like you to read 2 Corinthians, at least chapters 10 through 12 this week. But when you read at least chapters 10 and 11, I want you to read them and think about Paul saying what he's saying. And think about him saying it sarcastically. Because that's literally the way that this is written. You wouldn't probably pick that out just by looking at it and reading it. But I want you to see... And I want, you to, I want to try to portray the tone and the hint of sarcasm in what Paul is saying here. Because if you miss that, the text doesn't make as much sense. But when you get it, it will come alive more to you. So I won't read everything, but look at chapter 10, verse 10. This is really where he's kind of going to set the stage of what's to follow. So these folks have been saying things about Paul. They've been particularly honing in on something about his physical appearance. So we don't know exactly what the infirmity Paul had was. A lot of people speculate that it was his eyesight, that he couldn't see well. Certainly a man that had been beaten and went through the things that he had went through, to some degree I'm sure was disabled and disfigured. I don't know how, unless God intervened miraculously, I don't know how you couldn't be after being beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and all the things that had happened. So perhaps his infirmity was something to do with that. It really doesn't matter. But there was something about Paul outwardly in his appearance that made him look less than impressive. And so they're saying, you know, yeah, he, he talks a good game. He sends these letters, and he lets people have it. But when you look at him, he's not much of nothing. And so listen to what is said. Paul writes in verse 10. He kind of he hints at this. He says, speaking of what they've been saying about him, for his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. So those are the accusations that these folks have been saying about Paul. And so now he's going to go on in the rest of chapter 10 and in verse um, chapter 11 and even a little bit into 12, and he's going to answer these critics. He's going to give them 
his pedigree, if you will. But he's not doing this to boast. Over and over, he's going to make that clear. He's not standing up there bragging. Matter of fact, over and over, he's really saying, this is not even necessary. It's really purposeless, and it's really kind of dumb that I'm doing this. But I'm going to meet you where you're at. I'm going to play this game with you. You want to go down this road? Fine. Let's go down this road. That's kind of the, the intent, the tone that Paul is speaking with. So let me jump into chapter 11. And I won't read all of it, but I'm just going to read a couple of verses. Think about this in this sarcastic tone, answering these critics who have been saying that, you know, Paul talks a good game, but he's not much, and yada, 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 and he's certainly not as great and mighty as we are. Uh, that's the kind of thing that's going on. So chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So he's defending his motives, number one. He's saying, listen, I'm going to show you that my intent is pure. Yours is not. And it's going to be found out. But our, my intent is pure in this thing. Let me go down to verses 12 through 15 as he continues. He says, but what I do, I will also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the image, in the things of which they are boast. He says, so now he's going to call them on the carpet. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers. Listen to what he says about them. Transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into the angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to the works. What he's saying there is, listen, you guys are so focused on the outward stuff, and you look at me and you say, oh, he's weak and nothing much to look at, and we are great. And look at, look at how, how our appearance is and look how, how, how awesome we are. And he says, listen, underneath all that show is emptiness. Underneath all of that, he said the devil can even make himself look good. So you're boasting about what you look like, but my heart is pure. That's what Paul's saying. So go on down now to verses 22 and 28. He says, so now he's going to really lay out. He's like, you want to compare resumes? Let's do it. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, and I am more. In labors more abundance, in stripes above measure. He's saying there, I've been beaten so many times, I can't, I've lost count. That's what he's saying there. In prisons more frequently, in deaths often. I've lost count of how many times I've almost died, that my life was on the line. That's what he's saying. He says, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Five times. Five times 40 is 200, minus 5 is 195. 195 times he was beaten the way that Jesus was 39 times. Let's go on. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Now, again, lest we not understand the culture, they didn't go and pick up pea gravel. They didn't pick up little rocks. When they stoned someone... They picked up boulders as big as they could pick up. I'm talking rocks, not pebbles, okay? 
piling. If you've ever seen somebody, when I know, you, I know you haven't seen it, but if you ever see the after effects, where somebody is stoned, there is a mountain on top of them. Okay? They are literally crushed under the weight of these rocks. That's what Paul went through. He says, once I was stoned three times, I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. He said, for a night and a day, I just floated out in the middle of the Mediterranean, just out there with the sharks and the sun and all the everything out there. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and in nakedness. Paul was thrown in a Roman prison, and he didn't get a bed and three blankets. He was probably naked, or if not, just had a loincloth on him. That's why, if you ever read in Second Timothy chapter 4, when he says, I'm getting ready basically to be killed, and I'm gonna, my life's going to be poured out as a drink offering, Do you, if you read that, look at what he asks for to be brought to him. He says, bring the parchments and a cloak and do your best to come before winter. He knows he's going to freeze to death in the jail if they don't kill him. So bring his cloak, his coat, and the parchments so that he could read. He just wanted to be warm and be able to read the Word of God. After all that, that's what he was concerned with. He says, um, beside the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches... Just the weight of caring for a church is something sometimes that overwhelms me. A church of 100 people or so is overwhelming at times. I can't imagine the weight that Paul felt day in and day out taking care of all of these churches that he had to take care of and all of the people that would have relied upon him. That's Paul's pedigree. That's Paul's message. And I want you to think about something. All of the things that Paul faced that I just read to you happened after the Damascus Road experience. They all happened after he gave his life to Christ. They all happened after he faithfully served Jesus. You ever look at it that way? And here he is at the end of his life, and he's still going. I have run the race. I have kept the faith. I have finished the course. I don't know if I could have went through that and still been standing. If not for the grace of God, certainly not. But there is Paul. Go into chapter 12 with me and then we'll get into our text. Listen to what he says now. He says, okay, that's the bad stuff. Now I'm going to brag facetiously on something good that happened to me. Listen to what he says. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. So he's basically saying, this is foolish, but we'll keep playing the game. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ. So it's funny he starts speaking in third person. He kind of gets our attention. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know. He said, I don't know if this was a physical thing, a vision. I'm not sure what exactly was going on when this happened. He said, but God knows. And such a one was caught up to the third heaven, to the dwelling place of God. 
to the very kingdom throne room of God. He says, and I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise, and he heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. He didn't go out and write a book. He didn't go out and make a movie. Like so many people today that claim they went on up to heaven and saw a bunch of things and talked to Jesus and had picnics and went to the amusement park and then they came back. And I'm not making that stuff up, guys. There's books and people that say they went up and had a whole day with Jesus and came back and did all this stuff. Paul said, I went up there and I saw things so amazing I can't even speak about them. I'm going to take, take Paul's estimation of what happened. All right. He says, of such a one I will boast, yet not of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees, uh, sees me to be or hears from me. So he tells about this experience, and then everybody's probably like, what was it like? Tell us all about it. He's like, can't tell you. I can't tell you. Don't need to tell you. Because I'm not going to boast about it. I'm not going to brag about it. But it all leads us into our text today. So now that you understand where we're at. Let's look at what I read to you this morning as we open. I want to give you four things this morning. I'll move quick. Number one, there's a purpose prescribed in verse 7. There's a purpose prescribed in this thing. He says, lest I be exalted above measure. The whole reason why the gift of the thorn comes is for Paul's protection to not be carried away in pride. All the things that he's been through now he got a chance to actually go up, either see it or physically go to heaven and experience things that few people ever have. And he could have really easily bragged upon that. He could have really easily went from being sarcastic about this to going to face these false teachers that were ridiculing him and saying, listen, enough of this. You guys are nothing compared to me. I've done things. God's used me to do things that none of you can ever imagine. I am the man. He could, have, he could have said that, and he would have had justification to say that. God had used Paul mightily. I mean, for a minute, guys, if you grab, I mean, if you just grab your Bibles and find Matthew and hold on to that for a second right there, that much of the Bible, the whole New Testament, there's 27 books there. Paul wrote 14 of them. I mean, he's responsible for 14 of the 27 books in our New Testament. That's a pretty big pedigree. He didn't know that probably at the time, but we do right? It's amazing what God did, and God is going to give him, for all of that, a thorn in the flesh. And a lot of us, when we experience trouble in any way, shape, or form, view it immediately as something that we need to try our best to get rid of, because it couldn't possibly serve any purpose and it couldn't possibly be from God. And I'm not saying that every bad thing that comes in your life is a gift from God. Sometimes our sinful choices bring things into our life that are bad. Sometimes the enemy brings things into our life. I'm not saying that everything bad is a good thing. It's not. But I think sometimes we're too quick to try to dismiss it and move on and just get comfortable again. We want the honey without the bees. Right? We all do. No, it's not just me. It's you too. I don't want to suffer. I want it easy. If we kick this air conditioning off, in about 10 minutes, you all would be miserable. And we'd hear about it. It doesn't take much. Right? We're not talking about being stoned and shipwrecked and everything else. We're talking about the air conditioning going off. See? 
We like our comforts, don't we? We expect that because we've been spoiled to it. But Paul comes in, and it's such an easy thing for us to fall into pride. And the scary thing about pride is you usually don't see it in yourself. It usually takes someone else to point it out to you, and then your pride says, who are you? Who do you think you're talking to? Get out of my face. Go take care of your own house, right? So not only is pride there when someone tries to point it out, our pride keeps us from receiving any kind of rebuke or correction. So God intervenes for Paul. What a blessing. He doesn't allow him to get to a place where that's going to be a problem. He's going to prevent it from ever starting in our lives. And the thorn is uncomfortable, but the thorn is far better than the sin that could have come if Paul would have been allowed to go that way. The thorn hurts. Sin destroys. The thorn is uncomfortable, but sin kills. And God is keeping him from this. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 18, that pride goes before the fall, before destruction, right? The Bible also tells us concerning the enemy, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy wants to destroy us. He doesn't care for us. He doesn't want any good for us. He wants to see us ultimately die lost and spend eternity in hell. And once we're saved, that's no longer an option, but he still wants to destroy things in our life. He wants to destroy our testimony. He wants to destroy our walk. He wants to destroy our relationships. He wants to destroy our peace. He wants to destroy our assurance. I mean, you name it. He's still chasing after things in your life to try to make you fall. Not ultimately fall away, but fall nonetheless. And God is trying to present that, prevent that from happening in the life of Paul. And here's the way that he uses pride. He takes good things and he makes them become God things in our life. What do you mean by that? There's only one God. But a lot of times the good things in our life become our gods. And we take our eyes off of him and we look at all the stuff in our life or we look at ourselves a little bit too much. And if we're not careful we will put the gifts above the calling in our life. Because I've seen this happen in churches, because that's where I'm familiar with, but it doesn't just happen in churches. But people start to feel entitled about things that they do in the church. And they start to feel like, well, if they don't appreciate me, I just won't give anymore. I'll show them. If they don't want to do it my way, they won't get another dime of my money. It's not your money. If it's your money, hang on to it. We don't want it. If you're not going to give it from a cheerful... The Lord loves a cheerful giver. Not a braggadocious, arrogant, someone that's... You, you come to the altar and get right with the Lord, then you can give an offering that's pleasing. Just keep it in your wallet if you're doing it for that reason. Didn't think you'd hear that from a pastor. All the pastors, everybody gets the wrong credit. Says, well, pastors just want money. Churches just want money. We don't want your money. We want you to serve God with your money. That's what the Bible says you're supposed to do. These guys, Ronnie and them, they take up the offering. You guys didn't take it out and put it in my truck, did you? No. It's not mine. I get paid, and I'm thankful for that. But they're not doing this for me. It's the Lord's church. And if I fall over dead before this message ends, hopefully there'll be another man of God that continues on the work. This church is not built on me. It's built on Jesus. And it's not built on any of you. It's built on Jesus. But we get the big head. We can get prideful. We all do. I've done it. Guilty as charged. 
But when we start to forget who gave us the gifts, who called us into this thing, who equips us, it's not about us. But we make it about us. It may be with the, with the giving. It may be, well, you know, that they, 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 they step on my toes a little bit too much at that church. I'm going to go down the street where it's easier. I'm going to go down the street where they don't talk about that stuff, where I can come in and feel good. They sing good music. They, they preach positive, encouraging, K-love messages, and I get to go on my way and never feel guilty about anything. Because that's what we want. We want the honey without the bees. But we need to get stung sometimes to wake us up because the stinger will hurt, but the sin will kill us. It will destroy us. And so Paul says that this thorn was, what does it say there in verse 7? A thorn in the flesh was given to me. It was a gift. It was given to Paul from God. One writer in my commentary said that anything that makes me depend on Christ is a gift. Anything that makes me depend on Christ is a gift, including the thorn. But notice this. God gave him the gift, but what does he say about it? He says that this thorn was a messenger of who? Satan. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said the devil is still God's devil. The devil can only do what God allows him to do. The devil is completely under the sovereign rule of Christ. We give, maybe not in Baptist churches as much, but we do sometimes, but especially in charismatic churches, we give the devil far too much credit. The devil is a very real and powerful enemy. Don't ever think that there's not a real devil and a real spiritual kingdom of darkness that is at war with us. There certainly is. And it will have a field day with you if you're not prepared to put on the whole armor of God every day and face it in the strength of the Lord. But the devil is completely under the authority of Christ and can do nothing in the life of a believer without his permission. Nothing. You don't need to bind him. You don't need to, to, to do these different things. The Lord has got him under his thumb, or literally under his heel, right? So Paul says that this messenger of Satan that God allowed to use to be this thorn in his flesh, again, he says it's a thorn in the flesh. So I don't think it was obviously a spiritual th- battle, but I do believe it was something physical going on. It could have been eyesight, it could have been whatever. But this physical infirmity was a trial that Paul faced, and it came as a result of Satan. It says that it buffeted him. That literally means to continue to strike with a closed fist. This thing was just constantly giving Paul grief. But he calls it a gift, and he says it came from God. And he knows why, but sometimes knowing why doesn't still make it easy. Does it? A lot of times, even this morning, we probably ask, why, Lord? But if we got the answer, still wouldn't make things easier. Sometimes we want a little closure, and maybe you get it and maybe you don't, but it still doesn't take away the pain. Sometimes it makes more pain when you find out why, right? So there was that, that is mentioned in, in verse 7, but go on to verse 8. There's a petitioning prayer. Notice what Paul does. In verse 8, he says, Concerning these things, I pleaded with the Lord three times 
that it might be removed from me. <clears throat> so Paul gets this thing, and his first, I, I'm so glad that the Bible shows us the humanness of people. Because sometimes we read the Bible and we see people like Paul and we think, man, I'm, I, I might as well throw in the towel. I'm not even anywhere close to being like these guys. You know, their faith is so big, and the things that they do is so amazing. And I look at my life, and I'm just mediocre at best. And sometimes that can be discouraging until you see that these people were just normal like me and you. They just messed up just like me and you. Peter denied the Lord three times. I mean, they, they had their sins and their struggles, guys. It's not like God picked out the best of the best. He picked the worst of the worst in a lot of situations. And the only thing that they did was made themselves available. They just trusted God. Or God brought them to a place where they didn't have any other choice. You ever been there? Like, if we won't turn to God, he'll make us run out of options, so we have to. That's not fun, but he'll do that if he has to, because the result will be good for us. But Paul's, Paul's petitioning to get this. He doesn't want the thorn. It's a gift. He, you know, he, he sees it as a gift, but he doesn't want that. Like, what was that show? Let's make a deal. Can I have what's behind number, door number two instead? Like, I don't know if I want this one. Let's trade this one in. He's praying to get rid of it. Wouldn't you pray to get rid of it? If you got a thorn in your flesh, I don't think any of us fall down in the morning and say, thank God for the thorn in the flesh. We say, Lord, what is going on? Get rid of this thing in my life. And I can only imagine, I thought about this this week, I can only imagine if the Apostle Paul lived in 2023 in America and he came to church and he gave his story and his testimony and he said, I have got a thorn in my flesh this buffeter of Satan that is beating me to death. I, I believe this is just the gospel according to Chris, so you can take it or leave it. But I believe if it was 2023 and Paul came with that story to the church, if he was in a Pentecostal church, they would bring him up front, they would lay hands on him and speak in tongues and try to get that delivered from him. They'd try to see him delivered. If he was in a word of faith church, they would bring him up front and rebuke and bind the devil and get it out of his life. If they were in a Presbyterian church, they would have told him that his theology was off and he needed to think a little deeper about the doctrinal truths of Scripture. And if he was in a Baptist church, everybody would just go to Frisch's and talk about him afterwards. <laughs> Amen? But God gave it to him as a gift. They gave it to him as a gift, and he asked God to take it away, and what did God say? No. Guys, God answers prayer, but not always how you want it to be. Sometimes no is the answer. And Paul didn't have a pity party. He didn't say, well, I'm done. All the things I've done for you, God, all the faithful ways I've served you, ever since the Damascus Road, I've had nothing but trouble, I quit. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. God gave it to him as a gift. He asked him to remove it. God said no. Why? Why did God give it to him? To prevent this pride from becoming an issue in his life. Herschel York, pastored down in Kentucky, he said this about this text. He said, to prevent elevation, to prevent Paul from getting too lofty, to prevent elevation, God sent humiliation to promote his sanctification. That's a great way to look at it. To prevent elevation, God sent humiliation to promote his sanctification. 
Look at verse 9. There's a promise proposed. God said to him, he prayed. God said, no, we're not taking it away, but he's not going to just leave him to suffer and struggle alone. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength, listen, my grace, my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's what God, that's God's response to him. One thing about this that I want you to see, does anybody use the New American Standard Bible in here? Anybody use that melody? A couple of you. I believe in this text, that English translation is the only one that I could find that got it right. All the other English translations, I don't think it's a big deal, but, but mine says, he said to me. The NASB says, adds one word. It says, he has said to me. That really brings out what's going on here because it's in the perfect tense. God said it to him in the past in this text that we're reading, but the effects keep going forever. The grace is sufficient not just for one time. The grace is sufficient all the time. That's what's being brought out literally in the text. And so God is saying, I'm going to give you grace over and over and over again every time you're weak. Not just sometimes. All the time. I'm going to give you grace. My grace is sufficient. That word literally means to be content. Think about it like this. You could literally say this, that verse this way. My grace is enough for you. My grace is enough for you. I wonder if it is for us. My grace is enough for you. Is it for us? Because God wants more than just a casual relationship. He wants to bring us into an intimacy with Him. He wants us to know. Remember last week when I talked about the fact that you can know about God but not really know God? Like in the trenches of life is where you really get to know God. When you really depend on Him in a practical kind of way. It's easy to come in here in Bible study and learn about God, but taking it out there and applying it when life gets tough and all the hell is waging war against you, that's not so easy. But that's where you really learn to know and trust God and become intimate with Him. And Paul is going to learn way more from the thorn than he ever will from the third heaven. He got to go to heaven, either bodily or in a vision, and see everything. But this thorn was going to teach him way more than that experience ever would. That's an amazing thing to think about. God gave him the thorn. It was a messenger from Satan. But the source ultimately is not what's important. The response is. And Paul says, therefore, most gladly, I'll boast in my infirmities. He said, I'm going to boast in these things. What's that really mean? He found that God is sufficient. That's really all he's saying. That no matter what I go through, God is sufficient. God is enough. And sometimes God has to take everything else out of our lives to realize that he's all we need. Because as long as stuff is competing with God, your affections are going to go back and forth. But when God is all you have, you'll realize God is all you need. And that's where Paul got to. He said, I am going to rest in the sufficiency so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The power of Christ was on Paul. The power of Christ can be on our life. And that sets us apart from the world, guys. You know, the world wants 
power and might and fame, and even the church has bought into that. we got to look a certain way and act a certain way and be a certain way so the world is wowed by us. That's why you see all of these entertainment-driven services anymore. It's because the, the, the shock and awe, the wow factor, we got to do something to amaze people. What's amazing to me is that a holy God would want anything to do with sinners like me. That's amazing. Like, I've seen light shows and smoke shows and fireworks. I've seen plenty of that. But I'll never get over the fact that while I was dead in my trespasses and sins, Jesus Christ came along and forgave me and accepted me and made me his child. That's amazing. That's what's really amazing this morning and every day of our lives. We don't need to be wowed in the flesh. We need to be humbled to realize who we are before a holy God. And that will amaze us. There was a promise proposed. Last verse, I'm done. Verse 10, there is a pleasure provided. Listen to what Paul, he gets to this point. It didn't just happen. Remember, he wanted it gone. He prayed to get rid of this at first. This took a little time. Took a little bit. It's going to take some time in you to be sanctified to this point. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and the need, persecutions, distresses. Why? For Christ's sake. I take pleasure, lest we think that word means something that it doesn't mean in our language. It literally means I approve of these things. I determine in my mind and in my heart that these things are good. He wasn't walking around doing cartwheels with a big smile on his face because of the thorn. That's not what he's saying when he says, I take pleasure. He wasn't sadistic in his thinking, and neither is God. But he's saying, I have learned to approve of these things. I've learned learned to determine that this is a good thing. The pain of the thorn is good because of what it's doing in me and what it's sparing me from. That's the understanding. 1 Peter 4, verses 13 and 14 says, Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding glory. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. You know what that's saying? It's saying that every time you suffer for the glory of God, for the cause of the gospel, you are literally becoming a partaker in Christ's suffering. And because Christ was exalted in his suffering, you shall be too as an heir of the promises of God. That's what it's saying. Have you ever thought about when you're suffering, you're not suffering alone. You're suffering as part of Christ's body. You're suffering just as your Savior suffered. And again, we want the honey without the bees. We'll stand back and say, thank you, Jesus, for the pain and agony and suffering of the cross. But I sure don't want to deny myself and take up my own cross. Your cross, yay. My cross, no thank you. But if he carried a cross, his followers will carry a cross. Not for the same purpose. We're not atoning for our sin. He's already taken care of that. But we are going to have to die to self. We are going to have to die to the world. That's what the cross is, an instrument of death. And that's what he's telling us. As we follow him, we'll be hated, we'll be persecuted, but God is keeping a record. Remember that song, Phyllis? My Lord keeps a record of the things I'm doing down here. He knows all about me, my troubles, my sorrows, my cares. He's keeping a record. And the score will be made right one day. 
trust him, rest in him, rely on him. He took pleasure for Christ's sake because at his weakest, Jesus was enough. And here's the thing, I shared this on Facebook and I'm done. All week long, I've had the word in my heart, yield. We need to yield to God. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God. We always quote, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. We forget the first part. The devil's not going to flee until you're submitted. Submit to God. He's not afraid of you. He's afraid of God. Submit yourself to God. Then you can resist the devil. You can't resist him without the strength of God. Submit. Yield. That means to give up control. Americans don't like that. We love our freedoms. We love our autonomy. We love the illusion that we're in control. But we're not. We're not. But God is. And here's what I want to say as we close today. You're maybe fighting a battle today. Maybe you're in a battle and you keep losing and you keep trying it your way because pride won't let you yield. Maybe God's given you the struggle that you're in for a purpose and you're so focused on getting out of the struggle that you're missing the lesson. You're missing God in the midst of the struggle. You just want out and you're doing everything possible to get out and God is sitting there looking at you. I saying, this is where you need to be. I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to get you to learn something here. I'm trying to get you to know me deeper. Stop running. You can't outrun God. He's always going to win that race. You'll never be saved until you yield. As long as you keep chasing the things of the world, you will never fall on your face before God and cry out to Him for forgiveness. But if you'll yield today, you can be saved. If you will turn your life to Jesus, you can be saved. You'll never be used mightily of God until you yield. Until everything in your life takes a back seat to the priority of putting God first, you will never be used in the way that God ultimately wants to use you. It's a decision you've got to come to. Things have their place. Gifts are good, but gifts are not God. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And if you chase your stuff long enough, God will remove it to get your attention. Don't wait until he does that. Give him your full and undivided attention today. Yield to him and trust him. I'm going to invite the praise team to come, I believe. Shane is and Phyllis are going to lead us today. And as they come, I want to pray with you, and then I want to invite you to come today. If you're lost, today is the day if God is dealing with your heart. If you're not in a place you need to be, today is the day to trust God. You'll get the honey one day, but thank God for the stings along the way. Maybe you just need to thank Him today for what He's doing in your life is painful, but He's sparing you something far worse. Father, we come to you today just asking now that you would have your way in this invitation and in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, help us to see things with your eyes, the way that the Apostle Paul was able to see things. Help us to suffer gladly for the glory of Christ and to realize that you are in the midst of it and you are keeping a record of all the things happening and we will receive our rewards in that due time. Move now in our hearts, Lord, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand and as we